0: All right. Thank you, team. Go ahead and um, everyone get a copy of the notes for tonight. should say week six on them. It's our last week together. Looks like this. All right. So week six towards the top there, and I'm excited to jump in to this with you. Tonight, um, we do not have any presentation slides. I only have three blanks right there on the front, because what we're going to do tonight is we're going to spend a lot of time walking through a couple passages of Scripture. So tonight... Um, Is very much going to be rubber meeting the road, and we're going to spend time uh, in the Word of God and walking through the Word of God together. And so uh, we are wrapping up our series called The Bible is for Everyone. And so if this is um, your first time with us, or if you've only been able to uh, make it a couple of these Wednesday nights, I encourage you to uh, check out the podcast. All of the notes um, are available through PDF, um, so you can email me for those, or fill out a Connect card, or call the office. Uh, just communicate with us, and I can get you the copy of the notes. I'll even get you a filled-in copy of the notes. All right. Uh, For those of you who don't want to pay close enough attention to follow along to a podcast, right? Um, But we also have this on audio recording through our church podcast, available through our app or wherever you get your podcasts. And so we encourage you to take advantage of those resources. And tonight, as we dig in, I'm excited for this because this is, we're able to be very practical tonight. We're we're building, we're moving towards um, some of the things that we're going to put into practice this evening. So um, by way of review, we've talked about this uh, every week since we set the foundation, there are three primary steps for uh, effective Bible study. Um, we ask three questions, and there are three steps that we attach to these questions. So the first question that we ask is, what does it say? What do we call that step? Observe. Observe. Um, and so this is asking questions of the text. What is it, just what does it say? I can't interpret the Scripture if I don't even know what the Scripture says. Um, obviously, that would be, just, that'd be ridiculous. Um, some of us are very good at right? We try to read into, we try to finish each other's sentences, right? Um, that's not, not a good not a good Bible study habit all right. Um, then secondly, not just what does the Bible say, but then we ask the question, what does it mean? What does it mean? What do we call that step? Interprets. We observe, we interpret. And then finally, uh, but not least importantly, just as important, but finally, how does it affect my life? And what do we call that step? Apply. So we observe. We ask questions. What does the text even say? We interpret and we begin to figure out what does it mean? What is the context? What is the culture that it's being written within? Uh, what's going on? What's the era of time? Is it Old Testament, New Testament? We just try to begin to gather information. We're going to walk through what that looks like tonight with a couple passages. And then, uh, finally, how does it affect my life? So now that I know what it means, what the original audience would have heard, would have understood, how does now it bear weight on me here in 21st century Western culture? How do I apply these things to my life? And so tonight we're going to talk about two different types of difficult, I'm going to call them difficult passages. Uh, One of them we're going to specifically call difficult passages. Which these are passages that even for some of us who have been around church for a while and been Christians for a while, um, it it takes some time to understand. Um, It takes time to dig into and really develop and find what is God trying to say to me through this passage. Um, And then we're going to look at a second one that I think can also be a difficult passage, but we don't always admit that it's a difficult passage. And this is what we're going to call the familiar passages, familiar passages. And so we're going to divide up into those two spaces and spend time really walking through that. So I want to spend um, maybe a a third of our time, if that, talking about and introducing these two. I'll do that separately. Um, And then about a third of our time walking through a passage that maybe was difficult to understand. And about a third of our time walking through a familiar passage um, and practicing these steps that we're going to talk about. So that's what it's going to look like tonight as we wrap up this series. Um, So, as we come into difficult passages, right there on your first page, there are three different types of difficult passages. And in order for us to be able to kind of understand and walk into what is difficult about these passages, I think it's important for us to understand what type of difficult passages it is. So, um, I'll give you examples of the three of these so that we can um, step in. Um, But first of all, we have the unfamiliar unfamiliar. By unfamiliar, I don't just mean I've not read this passage before, but there's something about this text, there's something about this passage that is unfamiliar to me. Um, So for example, um, the book of Jonah sometimes could be able, uh, you might say, well, that's a familiar one, I know the story of the book of Jonah. Um, Well, when we come to Jonah's culture, Um, What do we know about the culture of the Ninevites? What do we know about Jonah and his occupation? What do we know about the writing style? Because in fact, Jonah is a piece of literature that we would call, um, it's it's ironic literature. Um, And so what does that mean? How does that affect our interpretation? So it may be unfamiliar in some of those spaces. Once you learn the context of Jonah, Jonah's not that difficult to understand. But it takes time to understand why it's being written, the style in which it's being written. And once you have those tools, you can unlock that kind of a passage. Number two, we have paradoxes. Paradoxes. What's a paradox? Any of our English teachers? We have, a few, we have a few educators in it. What's a paradox? All right. So I heard similar, different, similar definitions phrased a little differently. What? I heard a paradox, right? Exactly. All right. Uh, a paradox is something that seems contradictory, but is actually not. In fact, often a paradox will reveal a deeper truth. Um, and so if you want to study out a paradox, you can study um, the book of James. Um, and the book of James, goes into something really interesting. Um, in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, we see that for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, then James comes in, and James says that Abraham was justified by works and not faith alone. And so all of a sudden, we wait a second. James is contradicting. In fact. There were uh, early Christians that thought James shouldn't be included in the Scriptures because he taught some kind of a works-based salvation. But we don't, when we study the Scripture, that's not true at all. What James is presenting intentionally is a paradox. He's showing us the relationship, and he's saying, okay, Christian, I want you to think about the relationship between your faith and your works. And he's making these seemingly contradictory statements To make you say, wait a second, that's not true, and dig in deeper. And then when you dig in deeper, you say, okay, oh, that's what he means when he writes this. And so James is a great example of a paradox as he speaks about the relationship between faith and works. And then we have um, the mysteries. Um, The mysteries is what we'll call them. Um, And the mysteries are just that. They're kind of a mystery. Um, These are things that uh, people that would fall under the space of orthodoxy and um, biblical Christianity, that uh, a lot of people, we just say, we don't have a clear answer for this. Uh, we can't say definitively what this means. And so there are certain passages of scripture um, that you could spend time getting caught up in and you could um, try to chase down what does this mean, what does this mean, and piece it together. But in reality, um, no one has been able to come up with a this is exactly what these things mean. Um, now, does that mean there's not an answer for what they mean? No. Um, it means that there's context that is either not given, maybe it's information that God, probably it's information that God did not necessarily uh, desire to give us full understanding of. Uh, but we find that there are certain things within Scripture that are mysteries. Um, and these are things that after, even after going through this process of studying, at the end of it, you still may be scratching your head and saying, okay, I don't totally understand what that means. And you may begin to have a little more clarity or begin to have a gist or an idea of, but that doesn't mean that you're going to come to a full understanding of these. Because there's still passages in Scripture that even the most educated and the most understanding would say, okay, this is basically what I think it means, and this is why I think that, but at the end of the day, some of the way these things are phrased, we don't have a full understanding of. And there's a, to a certain degree, we have to be okay with that. Um, so what are the steps then for interpretation? How do we approach a difficult passage? How can we kind of systematically say this is a a helpful way to go into these things? Let's walk into this. Um, Number one, this is so important. We've talked about this, I believe, every week, um, if not five out of six. Uh, We need to pray as we go into the Scripture. Um, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, would come. And as the Comforter would come, that he would bring all things to remembrance, that he would give us understanding of the things that were said And so it's so important as we study the Word of God to pray. The amazing thing about the Scripture is that the author is present with us even as we go through and study. And so as we get into the Word of God, it's so important that we begin our study with pray. Secondly, this, study context. Study context. You say, Nate, you sound like a broken record. You have to have it or you're not going to understand what's being written. You have to have it. how many of you have ever, uh, you ever seen, you know, a photocopy or a piece of maybe a, a, a note from, like, a Civil War era? You saw something, someone sends this in, boom. You, you know, you could put that note on, you could hand me that note, or you could give someone else that note, um, and no information whatsoever, just say, hey, here is this letter. And if I were to read that letter, I would probably say, most, nine times out of ten, I'd probably say, what on earth is this, right? I could tell you what it said, but I couldn't tell you what it meant because I don't know who's writing it, I don't know who they're writing it to, I don't know, uh, I, there's a lot of information, I just don't have. But at the same time, we've, you know, if you flip through the channels, you see the History Channel, and they have this whole 30-minute documentary on this letter that was written, right? Because why? They're grabbing all of that context. And they're saying this soldier was a Confederate soldier in this battalion, and he fought at this battle, and his uh, mother was at home with this the issue going on. And it just begins to unravel a lot of this context So if you fill in. Now, all of a sudden, that note has significance and has meaning. Within the scripture, uh, for a deep understanding of the scripture, especially when it comes to difficult passages, we need to know the context. Who is writing to who? What's the topic of the writing? This is going to begin to give us some insight into why this difficult passage would be written. Um, Number three, find what makes the passage difficult. So what idea What um, phrasing, what statement, what is happening within the passage that makes it hard to understand? Uh, What is it about it that's keeping it from being something that's simple and and that we can just grab and jump into? What's happening that actually makes it difficult? And we need to ask questions and find some of these things out. Uh, Number four, we want to use Scripture with Scripture. So as we go to difficult passages, what we're going to do is we're going to try to find some of those themes. Uh, We're going to walk through this. We're going to walk through an example of this tonight. Uh, We're going to try to find some of those themes and say, where are those themes represented in other areas of Scripture? And then from there, what we want to do is we want to begin to compare those difficult passages with ones that are easier to understand. We wanna look for areas that these are explained because the Bible is so fascinating in that it has the ability to many times interpret itself. Many times the Bible will answer a lot of questions within its pages, maybe in the same book, maybe in another book, and we'll look at some of those pieces here as we study a section from Hebrews chapter number 10. And so what we wanna do, uh, a letter B of that, is we wanna use the easier passages to help us interpret the difficult ones. Um, what we don't want to do is say, this is a passage that uh, is difficult to understand, and this is where I'm going to base all of my core theology, and then I'm going to go to these other passages, and I'm going to say, no, that's not right, because I believe that this passage says this instead. We don't want to grab the difficult passage and say, I'm going to latch onto this thing that may or may not be true, and I'm going to use it to interpret things that are obviously true. And so we want to take the easier passages, and we want to— uh, the, actually, there's a technical term for this in literature. It's called synthesizing. Uh, where you take an argument and you build an argument using multiple sources. How many of you guys ever had to write a research paper? In high school, college, some level, we had to write a research paper, right? Uh, When you write a research paper, you know, your your teacher tells you or your professor tells you um, many times that you need X amount of sources, especially if you're just starting off in that. You have to cite so many sources, right? And so you have to take those sources and you have to compile them into some kind of a uh, thematic, hopefully uh, readable, hopefully coherent, line of thought even though maybe these are on different branches of the topic you're talking about but you know what you're doing with that argument is you are synthesizing that argument you're taking these pieces and you're saying this is how I'm going to form a line of thought this is how I'm going to go through and how I'm going to present my idea using other people's work to back up and support the point that I am making and so when it comes to scripture we want to take these things we want to compile them then number five uh, check your work with godly friends or external sources So uh, when we finish, especially in a difficult passage, uh, maybe call up someone that you know that's studied the Bible and that knows the Bible well and say, hey, I've been reading through this. Um, Or if you have a commentary or you have a source online that you like to go to, then you can say, okay, what is this passage? What does this commentary think that this passage means? And if you're in the uh, ballpark, hopefully if you follow these steps, you're in the same space and you're close, right? Um, And they agree with you and not all commentaries are perfect and not all friends are perfect, right? But as you study the Word of God and you go through these processes, uh, we should end up in the same time zone, right? Um, If you find that all of the sources that you're looking up say that's not what that means, then it might be time to back up and start over and find out where you went wrong, right? And so let's go ahead, and here's what I want to do. I want to take a minute, and I want to go through— we're actually going to study two passages from the book of Hebrews tonight. Um, I thought that would save us a little bit of time um, with— Uh, trying to go through context in some of these areas, since we're doing the same book of the Bible. Uh, But what I want to do is I want to look at one passage of Hebrews that is um, maybe considered one of the warning passages of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews has five of these, where they specifically um, begin to admonish or begin to warn, those warning passages, the audience of certain things. And these warning passages oftentimes are considered some of the uh, most valuable, hard-to-understand passages in the Scripture. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to look at Hebrews 10 um, And then we're going to actually jump over to the next chapter We're going to look at the introduction to Hebrews chapter 11 Which is a well-known passage Hebrews chapter 11 we know as what? The faith chapter, the hall of faith, right? Um, and so we're going to look at the introduction to that chapter um, As being a more familiar passage And we're going to diagnose that So here's how I want to start Go through, I included in your notes, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. If you want to open your Bible to be able to get further understanding of the chapter, that would be beneficial, or take out your Bible app on your phone or tablet or whatever. Um, However you want to do it, I would encourage you to kind of read some of the verses around it. I want to take um, about five minutes just to get a handle on this passage, um, to try to have a little bit of a familiarity just by reading, especially these five, six verses, over a few times. Um, like we've gone through. If you have a pen, uh, there's some pens in the lobby if you need one. Um, but circle some words that are repeated. Uh, mark these up. If you want to work with a friend or someone sitting nearby, feel free to do so. But let's take about five minutes, and let's just look at the passage and begin to observe the passage. Then we'll walk through these steps together. How's that sound? So let's go ahead, and let's um, take about five minutes to walk through and do that. All right, let's go ahead, and uh, let's get started. All right, how many of you guys, you prayed while you were working on that? Oh, come on. Step one. You're like, Nate, you tricked me? You dirty dog. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, let's pray as we jump into this. Father, we are grateful for your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would um, help us to just have illumination and understanding of this passage um, as we look into these things. I pray that you would help your word to come alive to us, that we would be able to um, Focus, in. I pray that you would um, be with us, even as I know many people in here. Um, we've gone through a, a full day of work, and we've gone through these things, and so now we're coming to the end of the day. I just pray that you would help us to be able to tune in on your words tonight as we study this, and that you would give us understanding of this passage. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we study the second chapter, and I say, hey, how many of you guys prayed? Now, well, right, right. Um, how many of you guys had that teacher that did that, like, the first thing said to read the entire paper, and then the last one said, no one? Okay, all right, moving forward. All right, it's dirty, it's dirty. All right, number two, um, study the context. So we're just gonna ask a few um, simple questions for context tonight, um, and you could dig in a lot more into this, um, but I, I, gave, I gave three of these here, okay? Um, so there's another one I could add, and normally would add, uh, would be who wrote the book of Hebrews, um, or who wrote the book that you're studying? Um, so, for those of us who um, we just went through a little bit of a study of the book of Hebrews you know, a few months ago, who wrote the book of Hebrews? It's like this page intentionally left blank, right? Like we don't know. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's a mystery. Uh, we we don't know. We can have theories, um, but there are good reasons to not think they are. A lot of the theories. Um, and so we don't, we don't know. Some people think Paul. Some people want to say Apollos. Some people want to say Luke um, was re- interpreting some of Paul's teaching. I mean, who, there are a lot of theories about this, but we don't know. When we don't know something in the Scripture, like when we just plainly don't know something in the Scripture, a lot of times it's probably because we weren't supposed to know something in the Scripture. So I don't think it's worth pushing into saying, this person wrote the book of Hebrews, because the Hebrews doesn't tell us who wrote the book of Hebrews. All right? But we do know who it's written to. Who is it written to? Hebrews, right? It's written to people um, that have a Jewish background, um, that have a Jewish history. So these are people, understand, these are people who know the Old Testament Scripture as well, right? Um, we find so many references and allusions to the Old Testament. In fact, in this passage, um, what are some allusions to the Old Testament that we see in this, in this passage here? Can anyone, anyone notice a few of these? Okay, no more sacrifice for sins right out of the gate. All right, what else? All right, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy. Um, we're actually going to look at a reference to that again in the New Testament. Um, we're going to see that clarified in um, one of the epistles to Timothy. Okay, so um, we have blood of the covenant, we have the sanctified I heard something over here. Two or three witnesses within that, which is a law thing, right? So, under the law of Moses, we saw two or three witnesses uh, are required for these things to take place. Um, Yep, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay, is uh, the way that it's translated in from uh, Old Testament Hebrew into English. Okay, and so we see that theme right there in verse number 30. And again, the Lord shall judge his people, right? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay, and so all of these things, there's a number within these verses, we don't have all the time to dig into and jump into all of these Old Testament allusions and references, but it's full of them, all right? What is, letter B, what's the theme of the book? What's the theme of the book? Okay, so there's, there's an element of that. Um, so what's, what's the theme? What's, how, do we, how would we summarize and just succinctly say this is the theme of the book? Christ is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is greater than the law, right? Whatever our heart wants to build up as an idol, whatever we want to seek after and look to, Jesus is better than those things. You guys are breaking my heart, all right? Uh, what is, he's better than whatever it is, right? So that's the whole theme of the book. Jesus is better. For those of you guys who are out, of, you're like, what's wrong with... Uh, we went through a series uh, on Hebrews, just the whole thing entitled Jesus is Better. And from each chapter we went through Jesus is Better. So if you're out of the loop on that, you're not breaking my heart, just the ones who were here for nine weeks. And um, Anyways, uh, no, so Jesus is better. That's the theme of the whole book. So as we're coming to the whole book, we're looking at Jesus compared to Old Testament things. In this passage, do we see that theme reflected? How do we see that that theme reflected in this passage? He's a better sacrifice. Okay, there's no more sacrifice for sins. Okay, there is a, so yes to all of these things. There is one direct comparison, at least one direct comparison within this passage. All right, and so what do we? What is the uh, that very? There's a very uh, direct comparison between. Hold on. What do you got? Okay. The uh, where are you at here? Let's see. Uh, under try underfoot of the Son of God. Where are you at? Are you in verse uh, Kevin? Where are you? I can't hear you very well. You in twenty nine? Okay, perfect. Yeah. So we have this. We have verse twenty eight. He that despised Moses' law died. Of how much sore punishment? Verse twenty nine. So all of a sudden, there's this like sharp contrast between Moses. But if Jesus is better than Moses, then how much sore punishment those that rejected Jesus than those that rejected Moses? Okay. So now we're, we're meandering into our interpretation. Okay. What's the theme then of the chapter? Um, how many of you guys, you have, a, you have some kind of a study Bible or something like that that gives you chapter themes? Uh, what's the theme of the chapter or the theme of this section of the passage, preceding and current? What are the themes that we see? What are they? Full assurance of faith, new faith. What's it? Failure. The failure of the old covenant. Um, and these are a lot of things that's probably coming. Um, is that a chapter summary that uses, Kevin, or is that the section summary? Okay, what's the, what's the one before that one? Okay, um, so the one sacrifice. And so basically what we have is we have a combination here in chapter 10 of a couple different things. The, this section specifically is on perseverance and continuing and staying in the faith. And the theme of it ties into... Because Jesus is better. So Jesus is a better sacrifice. He's a better atonement. The Old Testament law fell short because we were incapable of keeping it. It's not the law's problem. It's our problem. The law exists to show us this problem. But Jesus is better. So we should persevere. We should be more faithful because Jesus is a better mediator. So um, let's come to question number three here. What makes this passage difficult? What then makes this passage difficult? So these are, we just answered some questions about this. Hopefully you're starting to get an understanding of some of these things as we just begin to even talk about context. Uh, but what makes this passage difficult? So Old Testament and cultural context. What else? What are some things that, if read incorrectly, could seem um, counter to the message of the gospel? Maybe, some, maybe we could say some paradoxes within this passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a sense of fear, um, judgment, fire, indignation, right? What do you think, Tom? So, so really, the crux of it. I, this is my. I, I believe that it begins with. It begins with verse twenty-six. There, if we sin willfully, because now we have to say, what does it mean to sin willfully? How many of you guys have ever uh, knowingly committed a sin after salvation? You have knowingly committed a sin. If your hands are down, I don't know if you're sleeping or you're just better than me. And if, I mean, both of those are possible. Uh, both of those are, I mean, one of those is probable. I um, will let you guess which one. Um, but we, we know this is the right thing to do, and yet we choose to do something else, right? We, we've been there. We've been there. So if that's sinning willfully, then we could read this to understand, and we could read this to mean that there is no sacrifice for our sins. How does that sit with what we understand of Christianity? It doesn't, right? So now, then what does this mean? Was this talking about sinning willfully? And so this is, this is the crux of what makes this passage difficult because a lot of people take the warning, can take the warning passage of Hebrews uh, and say, my salvation, it's a free-for-all. Because these passages, also, most of them, if you read them incorrectly, can come to this conclusion because they are strongly worded, very strongly worded. Some of the strongest wording in the entire New Testament are found in the book of Hebrews through these five warning passages. But let's go ahead then and let's move into our fourth step, using Scripture with Scripture. And um, what I want to do through this, if you want to open, um, if you want to tear this off, or if you want to open the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10, in your Bibles, one way or another, figure out, um, I want to read this side by side, and I want to look at some of these verses, some of these verses, excuse me. And so, as we step into this, I've included only verses that I think will um, be helpful to you, and before I even jump into them, here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to to just let you know how I came up with these verses. Why did I, you might say, Nate, why did you include these verses? Um, Some of them came from cross-references. Um, so if you have a Bible that has cross-references and gives you other scripture within them, some of them come from that. Um, some of these come from, um, I searched some phrases. So for example, you know a phrase that stood out to me in Hebrews chapter 10 was knowledge of the truth. I was curious, how many times is that phrase used? Um, you know what I found? Three times. I just searched Bible study software, put quotes on the end of it, quote, knowledge of the truth, end quote. So it comes up with that phrase exactly. I found it three times in all of scripture. Um, and so I included those verses in here. Um, I, some of them are from um, other just online study resources that, again, they're, uh, I'm not l- even looking at commentaries yet. I'm talking about cross-reference tools, uh, and, and these are available. If you, look at, if you type into Google cross-reference in your verse, it's going to give, it's going to populate some things. And sometimes they're helpful. Sometimes they just grabbed the a word like faith, and then it's 400 and something cross-references, and good luck with that. Um, And so I I curated this list a little bit um, because I think these are all helpful to our understanding of this passage. All right? And so what I want you to do, this is what I'm going to encourage you to do. Uh, Take your pen and in the margin, note how the text that we are looking at here, um, whether it be Hebrews 2, Hebrews 3, John 3. um, And I included the very beginning of these, by the way. Hebrews, uh, we're going to look at the book at itself first. And then the rest of them move through the canon as it's arranged. So we're going to look at John. We're going to look at First and Second Timothy. And then we're going to look at 2 Peter. Just really quickly on these. We're going to hit these pretty fast. Um, but in the margin, note how the text applies to our primary passage. So Hebrews 10. So um, write some kind of note on the side that helps you to have understanding of why, how this applies. And if you want to circle or underline phrases, things like that, feel free to do so. Mark it up so that it makes sense to you. Um, So Hebrews 2, 2, and 3. I'm going to read it, and then uh, I want you guys to uh, converse here with with all of us together. How does this apply to the passage in question? So Hebrews 2, 2, and 3. This is another warning passage, by the way. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So what ties in here with what we just, what we're studying in Hebrews ten? How does this, how do these verses correlate? Okay, a neglecting of salvation. Um, yes, absolutely, and we're gonna we're gonna tie that in here um, in just a minute as well. We're gonna see salvation and knowledge of the truth be equated in another section. All right, so a, ne- a negligence of salvation here. There's a warning about uh, neglecting our salvation. All right. But at the same time, does this passage tell us uh, what neglecting a so great salvation means? Not clearly, right? This is still a fairly difficult passage. And so we can say, okay, well, this gives me a little bit of understanding, but it's not really just opening doors because it's it's still a tough passage to study and understand. All right. But it definitely mentions, it talks about, and relates to neglecting our great salvation. Um, Hebrews 3.12. All right. So this is, again, a warning found in the book of Hebrews, and it says what? Take heed, brethren, lest there be in in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. More clear or less clear? Or same clarity? How many of you guys have said it's a little bit more clear, right? I I think it's a little bit more clear. So what are we seeing in this passage? What is this tying in? How is this tying in? Okay, so we see a, a heart of unbelief. What's the evil thing about this? What's the sinful thing that's mentioned in this this verse? Okay, so the evil in this verse is a heart of unbelief, right? Unbelief in what? What's the whole book about? Jesus, right? So unbelief in Christ. This is all tying in with, and if you study the verses around it, it'll give you a little more understanding as well. Uh, Just for sake of time, we've got to press forward. And so we see an evil heart of unbelief. So there's wickedness and unbelief, are all of a sudden they're tied in here now, okay? So keep that link in your mind. We're going to see that on repeat here. Look at John 3, verse number 18. Um, these are Jesus' words, all right? So if we're going to talk about Jesus, we might as well quote Jesus, right? Um, John 3, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. doesn't say anything about sinning after salvation or anything like that. Jesus says, he that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. Why is he condemned already? Because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. He answers the question right there in the verse. So now all of a sudden, what do we have? We have this correlation between condemnation and what? Unbelief. Condemnation and unbelief, we see these two linked by Christ. Look at John chapter 10. These are just, we're just walking through, we're just kind of gathering information to help us understand this difficult passage. John 10, 26 through 29. Jesus again speaking, But ye believe not because ye're not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Who's he speaking to? Uh, does anyone want to take a guess at what he's, who he's speaking to in this verse? If you know, if you, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to religious leaders. He's saying, you don't, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life. And watch this, they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And So, looking at this verse, this is very clear. If I am a believer in Christ, what does he call me? He calls me his sheep. i going to do a really interesting study. Psalm 23 off of this, okay? Um, he says, I am, they are my sheep. They hear my voice. They know me. They follow me. I know them. And then what does he say? What does he give unto, unto us, his sheep, in verse 28? Eternal life. And then what does he say after that? They shall never perish. Neither What? Shall any man take him out of my hand? They they can't be taken away from me. So if Hebrews 10 means that I can lose my salvation, what does that make Jesus in John 10? Makes him a liar, right? And so obviously these two things don't mesh. Hebrews all about Jesus is not contradicting the words of Jesus. So it can't mean that. So, So what are we seeing? We're seeing some doors are opening up, right? Some pathways are kind of opening up for study others are being blocked off is this the, is this what it means no there's a clear passage that says that's not what it's talking about so let's let's keep reading let's look at it. just a couple more first 1 Timothy 2:4 who will have all men to be saved and come unto the know uh, and come unto the knowledge of the truth all right so this is one of those three times that the knowledge of the truth is used what is he equating to the knowledge of the truth. Coming to the knowledge of the truth is equivalent to what? All right? So we know it's believing in Jesus. What is the word specifically used in this passage? How would we say it? Saved, right? Someone who has come to the knowledge of the truth is someone who is saved. We see that in this passage, in this verse. Pretty, Pretty straightforward. So we're just, again, we're just gathering data. I'm just organizing these, not necessarily in line of thought, but just in chronology. Just the way that you and I would study the Bible, not having read these verses before. We, I would recommend starting within the book itself. Start in the book of Hebrews. And then work your way out, either chronologically or through the canon. So we're looking at John and then Timothy and then Paul, uh, Peter here in just a minute. So he would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So these two are equated now. Second Timothy 3, 7 through 9 this is the other time that it's used. And he says this, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so what is it saying? So knowledge of the truth equals salvation. These are people that never come to what? Salvation. They're always learning. They're gathering information, but they're never applying this information. And then he brings in an application here, and says or an illustration here in verse number eight. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Verse 9, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. So the people, here's kind of the picture, the people that uh, grew up with Janus and Jambres, did they think that they were followers of God? The people that grew up and lived with them for however long they lived. Were they always known as being... Well, uh, what's the word What's the word here, reprobate concerning their faith? I mean, was it just, everyone was like, they're reprobates, eventually they're going to, not that we know, right? But all of a sudden, what happened? That evil heart of unbelief revealed itself. The evil heart of unbelief began to show outwards. We, we know ultimately our heart is going to show out through our actions, right? That's what James means when he talks about faith and works, right? Um, spoiler alert. Um, so what do we see? We see all of a sudden now, as Janus and Jimmers did these things, it happened, this all came out. What does Paul say in verse number nine? For their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. So he's saying, hey, there's a group that has evil heart of unbelief. There's a group that they, they're never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They're learning. They give some of the externals of. But eventually, their folly will be manifest. Folly being foolishness, the foolishness of likely just from context, the foolishness of unbelief. So eventually, this is going to show itself. Then look at Second Peter um, chapter two verses twenty and 20, 20 through twenty two. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, meaning they are overcome, not overcoming these things. The latter end is worse. With them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the commandment delivered unto them. And so, what do we see within this passage? All right. So, all of a sudden, now we see similarly, this has a very similar feel then to Hebrews 10, but probably a little clearer language. There's a group of people that have the head knowledge of Christ, they hear the gospel. Maybe they hear it over and over again. Maybe they sit in church pews. Maybe they attend. And maybe they want to. They study the Bible, but what do we find? That there's never they they never they resist. I'm sorry, where am I at? Um, but they never actually buy into it. Uh, they never actually step all the way into it. They have the knowledge, but this knowledge never becomes faith. Quick question. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think this would tie in. This is that's another great study that you could jump into. Um, where the double-minded man, the instability and some of those things, that's another biblical word, yes, I think so. Um, Where this is, I have an understanding up here, but I have an evil heart of unbelief. I know the facts, but I never buy into, I never take a step into. So all of a sudden, so before we um, go to number five, um, so as we take these things, as we look at this passage of Hebrews chapter number 10, verses 26 through 31, what, do, what would you say that this willful sin is? I, I heard, I heard, what, what do I hear? It's rejection of Christ. If I sin willfully, if I, if I in my will say, I do not have to buy into these things. After we've received the knowledge of the truth. So this here w- would seem to imply or seem to be an understanding of. It's not a matter of, they are truly saved, but maybe they have knowledge of salvation. But as they have knowledge of salvation, the knowledge of the truth is the sacrifice for sins. There's not a sacrifice for sins elsewhere. And you have to remember, what is the crowd of people that's being written to? The Hebrews, people that are of Jewish backgrounds. So what are they going to want to run back to? I'm going to reject Christ. I'm going to run back to what? But there's no more sacrifices to run back to. Those are done away with. Those are gone. You've been exposed now to the truth, the fulfillment of all these things. And then, you look at 28 and 29, the, if you're going to despise Moses, that's, that's severe. But you know who's greater than Moses? Jesus. I understand it this way. Um, if you lie to me, or if I lie to you, there will probably be consequences, right? Especially if I'm found out. Now, if I were uh, a witness in a criminal case, and I were called to testify, and I were to lie on the stand... Well, uh, which one's going to have bigger consequences? Do you think uh, the perjury, right? The one that has a legal name for it, right? Um, a little white lie to a neighbor is wrong, but it's not going to carry the same amount of uh, same consequences here. So, rejection of Christ, rejection of Moses, are not the same thing, right? And so that's what we, the what we see played out. And there's so much more in that passage, but for sake of time, uh, we just we have to keep moving forward. Okay, um, so let's look at number five then. We're going to check our work, and you can see you know, I cited this. This is from an um, evangelical commentary on the Bible. Um, it's something I have within some uh, study software that I use. Um, and so after going through all of this, after laying out these verses, I said, okay, let's see what a commentator has to say about this. And here's what they said. Deliberately keep on sinning, or for us, um, we see that phrase, um, sinning willfully in the King James, it refers not to the immense sinfulness that remains in every believer's life. Thank God, right? Um, because if we're all honest here, immense sinfulness, yeah, that's a nice way to say it. Um, I know what lives in my heart. You know what lives in yours. Someday it will be gone from us. Someday it's going to be totally done away with. Amen for that day. But that's not what this is talking about here. Thank God. This is not the immense sinfulness that remains in the believer's life over which one mourns, of which one repents, and for which one turns to Christ. And there's some references there. Those are going to be within the book of Hebrews, since the book's not mentioned. but but to the renunciation of the faith. And we see uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 12, which we looked at. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6, which we didn't look at. If having once become acquainted with the final and perfect sacrifice of Christ, one rejects it as his hope of salvation, all hope is forever lost. The Levitical sacrifices that this readership is tempted to prefer cannot make anyone perfect. So now, what have we done? We've gone back. We've studied these things for ourselves. We've looked at these verses. We've begun to uh, to cross them over each other and to overlap them, and to look and understand what the scripture teaches. And now, when we're all done, we can say, "Okay, are we? Am I on the right track?" And we look at this uh, commentary, and we see that this commentary really point for point agrees with the things that we have just said. Okay. And so that's what um, going through a difficult passage looks like. Um, and we did that in about. minutes Um, understand this Um, I obviously I gave you a lot Some of the context you already knew Um, I gave you a lot of the cross references Um, so I I spent the time I kind of went on and did that work so we could sit down and do it all together so if you're studying a difficult passage you're like I've been studying it for 20 minutes and I don't know what it means welcome to the club All right, it's fun to be here okay um, because genuinely, I took uh, probably about an hour just grabbing these cross-references and finding out these verses that I thought would streamline our study and understand. And so uh, it takes time to gather these resources. But remember, day one, we didn't come in saying studying the Bible. We should study the Bible because it's easy. That's not what we said, was it? We, should, we said we should study the Bible because it's worth it, because it's worth it. So let's look at familiar passages, and this will be much shorter. And um, we'll, we'll be done here. Um, Steps for interpretation of familiar passages. Number one, pray. Um, Number two, ask good questions. The key to Bible study is asking good questions. Uh, That's the key to Bible study. That's the key to learning in any sense. But in Bible study, it's going to pay such big dividends. Ask good questions. You say, I don't know what a good question is. The more you do it, the more you learn what a good question is. So maybe if you're just starting off in Bible study, your questions uh, might be a a little simpler or maybe you're not on the right track. And that's fine because I still ask questions that I'm like, okay, what's the answer to this question? And it's nowhere to be found because it's not the right question. But the right questions pay big dividends. And so ask good questions. Here's some examples. What's the greater context? We look at the book context. What do the words mean? In a familiar passage, we can think that we know what the words mean. And sometimes... Um, that most of the time what it does is it limits our understanding of the passage. Most of the time, uh, we're not so far off in the meaning of the words that we're going to develop some kind of heresy out of it. We're just not going to get a full understanding. Um, But it's important to know what the words mean. How does this relate to other passages? What are the cross-references? What do they say about this passage? Uh, Letter D, what can I learn about God through the passage? Um, if uh, If you grew up through church, um, a lot of times, uh, this is just what I've found, so it's what I've experienced in church, a lot of times when you go through and you hear about you know, your, um, your Bible heroes, especially the heroes of the Old Testament and this and that, uh, we learn a lot about uh, good morals, and we don't always learn a lot about a good God um, if we're not careful, and I don't think that's the case here. I know Paul really and our children's ministry team and Chris, our student ministry team, put a lot of work into making sure that our students know God, not just understand the morals of the Bible. But for some of us who've been around for a while, the Sunday school stories might be a good moral story, and almost like a fable with God added into it somewhere. And so a good way to go back and to try to understand these things is how does God relate to these things? What do I learn about God through this passage? Um, number three, approach teachably. Approach teachably. Um, if we go in thinking we know everything in the passage, uh, if we go in thinking, let me say it this way, if we go in thinking that we're, going to, that we're not going to get anything from the passage, You're right. If you go in thinking that you're going to get something from the passage, you're right. You're going to go and you're going to get as much out of it as you anticipate and as you look for. So, letter A, as you look at these things, it it can be important to understand and to think, even as you're studying the passage, what do I expect the passage to say? And to clearly define those things. And then letter B, what's surprising about what the passage says? What is unexpected? When I really come in and look at it, what happens that I just, you know what, I've never seen it that way before? Number four, meditate on the text. Spend time on the text. Maybe a verse or a couple verses of a familiar text. Take uh, the day, write them on a note card or put them in a note on your phone and, and meditate on them. Read them over and over and over again as you have the opportunity. Meditate on these things. Number five, prepare to share. Prepare to share. And that may look like journaling, that may look like calling a friend, it may look like posting to social media, it may look like, but somehow, some way, as we take these things, if you're looking for things that you can share with other people, you're going to find applications for yourself. Um, so let's go ahead and let's practice through it. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. We're just going to take it. Um, about five minutes to try to wrap this up here and walk through this. So take, um, just take two or three minutes to read through this passage, highlight some key words, and look at some major elements within this passage. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Okay, so what's a, what's a key word within this passage? Faith, all right? Being a familiar passage, some of us may have known that even going into it, right? When we talked earlier, we said this is the faith chapter, hall of faith. These are, this is, it's about faith. So how many of you guys are surprised to see that faith is a key word in a chapter about faith? None of us, right? Um, So we see this, uh, I counted five times just reading through it just now. The word faith explicitly used, plus there are twice, there's a pronoun used that I think is talking about faith anyways when it says it. Okay, and so we see just it's referencing faith, 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 right? In just these first six verses. All right, so we have this idea, this chapter about faith. How many of you guys prayed as you were reading through it? Hey, better than last time. Shame on the rest of you. All right. All right, number two. Um, so let's, let's jump in here. Let's walk through our list. Um, ask good questions. So, uh, letter A who's the author? Who's the audience? The Hebrews. What are keywords that need defining? What's our keyword? Faith. How many of you say it's important for us in a chapter about faith to define faith? All right. Um, if you said yes, you are correct, all right? Uh, we need to define faith. Um, interesting thing about faith. How can we define faith from these first six verses? Right, in the passage. Isn't that the amazing thing about the Bible? It defines itself sometimes. Um, and so we see actually two, two definitions that come together, I believe, when it comes to faith in these verses. And then uh, we ask a good question about, like, what can I learn about God from the passage? So uh, what are some things, for example, let's, let's hit that letter d what are some things that we can immediately say i can learn this about god from the passage what are observations about god from the passage okay so what's the what's the phrasing let's look at let's look at the phrasing in the scripture what are some things that we can learn out i want to see where this i want to look exactly where this where this is what are you, what all right so he's the creator right so we see that the worlds are framed by the word of god in verse number 3 what else He's a rewarder. You're back, you're down in verse number six, I believe. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, right? All right. Um, in the middle of verse number six, where it says, God must, we must believe that he is. Um, specifically, that's speaking of that he is as he revealed himself to be. Um, what do we learn about, how do we, how do we please God? All right. It, it, without faith, it's impossible, right? So we please God by faith, Right. And so uh, these are just a few things, a few things that we learn about God. Um, serving him is worth it. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Um, we see that, he, um, that uh, faith is the way that we seek him and the way that we please him. Um, we see that he is the creator. Uh, we see that uh, just, oh, we see a handful of things there. We can't go into all of them just for a second time. Uh, so number three, approach teachably. Um, so as we look into the chapter, uh, we can say, what do I expect the passage to say? So what what expectations do we have for the first six verses? Just you personally, what expectations, in short, did we have about the first six verses? Um, It's going to have a lot to do with faith, right? So a lot of those expectations were probably met, right? But what's surprising about the things that are actually said? And and you know what we can do is we can go verse by verse through that and we can explore that some. Um, I think if we genuinely study out verse 1 and verse 6, These give us a definition of faith, kind of part A, 1A, 1B, faith. Uh, And I think that we're going to find faith to be something very different than the way that the English dictionary might define faith. Um, And that's something that you can do uh, on your own time if you want to write that down. Uh, Number four, meditate on the text. So we can meditate maybe on some questions. What does the author mean by his definition of faith? Right? Um, I I preached this passage a few months back, and um, some of you may, may have been there for that. And when we talked about faith, I read through the verse, and I said, all right, guys, so we need to define faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, all right? Clear now? Got it? Everyone understands it? Everyone's on the same page? No, of course not. Why? Because it's a pretty deep definition. So we have to press into this. We have to say, what does it mean? What is, that, what is it actually saying? Um, because there's a lot tightly packed into those few words. Um, And how does he add to the definition of verse number six, which I alluded to a second ago? Why do we need faith? Why faith? Why is faith the thing that pleases God? That's something you can meditate a long time on, right? That's something that you can say, whoa, why why is faith the thing? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's the thing that he says you must have to please him. Why faith and not something else? Um, And so and that's something that we can you can meditate on and there's not don't try to come up with the sunday school answer for it put it to the test say why faith instead of intellect why faith instead of generosity why faith instead of love why faith instead of why does he say faith why doesn't say any of these other things run it through the gauntlet don't just walk out with easy answers why does the and here's letter d why does the author start with abel and enoch What is he doing? What is he trying to accomplish in the rest of the passage? Um, And so those are some questions that you can spend time meditating on and thinking about, and then prepare to share. So from this, what can you apply to your life? And then, letter B, who can you tell about this application? Or um, sometimes, obviously it might be a very personal application, uh, how can you record it? Uh, Maybe get a journal and begin journaling through these things, or get a study Bible that has margins and space that you can write things out in. But somehow, some way, somewhere, put application down into some concrete form, whether it be communication with a friend, whether it be journaling, whether it be a combination of both. Whatever it looks like for you, take the time to anchor that down and to do something with the information that you're sharing. And that's it. So thank you so much for those of you, especially, who uh through us for these six weeks. And if you're new to the study, again, I encourage you to go to the podcast, get the information. I can get you the PDFs. I'll get you whatever information you need, um, because I believe that the Bible is for everyone. The Bible's not just for smart people, not just for pastors, not just for church leaders. The Bible's for you. The Bible's for me. And we will all be better off, and our church will be better off, as we, as Bible-believing Christians, really spend time studying, not just reading, although reading is so important to the Word of God, but studying the Word of God and coming to know its truth. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you for this group.